0: Okay, everybody, we've got a great show for you today. My guest uh, in the second half of this episode is Peter Reinhardt. He is the founder of Segment, which you remember was sold to Twilio for $3 billion. But he's on today's show to talk about his new company, Charm Industrial.
1: It's a really interesting carbon capture company. Basically, they take agricultural waste, kind of a big deal, turn it into a liquid and store it underground, thereby removing carbon from the atmosphere. I love this because... I love uh, because obviously I'm trying to build our climate tech portfolio and anytime Jason does a climate interview, he just gets mm. more on the train. And this is I'm an amazing, train. amazing, super interesting company and super interesting interview. Yes. And pretty soon we'll have our climate syndicate available
0: for you to sign up for. Uh, look for that announcement in the coming weeks. Peter is an amazing founder. It's a great interview. But first, but first we have, but what first. We'll,
1: What is probably the tip of the iceberg of one of the craziest stories of the year, a married couple that was arrested yesterday, today is Wednesday, that was Tuesday, charged with conspiring to launder 3.6 billion Billion. dollars worth of crypto. Billion. Billion. It's gonna be a great show. Stick with us.
2: This Week in Startups is brought to you by 8sleep. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer. Now you can add the Pod Pro cover to any mattress. Go to eightsleep.com/twist to check out the Pod Pro cover and get $150 off at checkout. Vanta, compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. And Fiverr Business is a modern workplace for the digital world. Their team of dedicated business success managers help match you with the best freelancers for your team. Right now you can sign up for Fiverr Business free for the first year and save 10% on your purchase with promo code Jason. That's F-I-V-E-R-R.com slash business and use promo code Jason. All
1: right, my friends, there is only one story today. There is only one story. Frankly, I like you am excited to have such a dishy, deep, profound, passion, inspiring crypto story to talk about. So a married couple, I know you already heard this and we don't care. A married couple was arrested on Tuesday and charged with conspiracy to commit money laundering and defraud the United States. $3.6 billion of Bitcoin was seized in the arrest. The couple, Ilya Lichtenstein and Heather Morgan, face up to 25 years in prison for both charges combined. 20 years max for money laundering, five years for defrauding the United States. The seizure was notable for two reasons, legally speaking. Yeah. One was that it was the largest seizure of crypto by U.S. law enforcement ever. Fair enough. It was the largest ever financial seizure by the united states full stop according to the doj i just got a plus biggest amount of money ever it's obviously the largest crypto right but
0: and (laughs) and it's the largest financial seizure which is another way of saying every criminal organization to this date Mm -hmm. has not been in possession of more money than these two Lex Luthor's criminal (laughs) masterminds. (laughs) Ah. These masterminds were in possession of more money than the Department of Justice has ever seized in history. There isn't a gambling syndicate, a crime syndicate, a drug syndicate, a financial uh, manipulator. None of them have reached this level of audacity. Exactly. Or they managed to hide their money better. This is a a red fin level like red fin is worth three billion dollars
1: like this is a they had a red fin on their thumb drive like in terms and a of red fin on their thumb drive the entire market amazing. cap of
0: red fin was on a thumb That's drive amazing. in their apartment or something
1: i hope we can make that into like a meme and to prove how serious this operation was it involved the irs criminal investigation unit the dc cyber crimes unit chicago's fbi okay. field office new york's homeland security investigations unit and all of this everything that we have just said is the yes. most boring part of the story that's okay. the boring stuff.
0: Show me these masterminds. Who is behind this criminal enterprise,
1: this unprecedented. Oh, yeah, no, this is a bit. <laughs> is that a frog? What? By the way, if you're not watching this on video, we've shown a photo of these two doofuses. Oh, my Lord. Look are, at these guys. Not only I mean, are just about as uh, awkward looking as it comes, but appear to be holding some sort of a brown venomous toad.
0: Oh, oh, might be a 5-MEO toad. They might be going on a toad journey. Okay, so these been two individuals. that's uh, for sure. Let me ask a question. Uh, which <laughs> camp at Burning Man would I find these folks at?
1: <laughs> let me ask a question. Which WeWork oh. in Brooklyn do they work at? I mean, they're unbelievable. So Ilya, Ilya Lichtenstein was a former YC founder and CEO uh, of <laughs> MixRank. So he's mafia. He's part uh-huh. of the mafia. That's right. He founded a sales tool that helped with prospecting and finding new customers to rip off. And (laughs) Heather was a Forbes contributor and part-time rapper. I'm going to go ahead and type mix rank into
0: Mm -hmm. my... See if they ever pitched you. Uh, There's some things have come up here and I'm just really scared to see if this person is in my email box.
1: While you do that, let me get through oh, the, no. the, 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 the like law enforcement details. Okay. So what happened, the way that these two toad licking ding dongs got a hold of all this crypto, evidently, is that in 2016, a hacker who was not them stole crypto from Bitfinex. Bitfinex? Bitfinex. I'm not even sure how you Bitfinex say that. Bitfinex, think, Bitfinex yeah. stole an amount of crypto that is currently valued at $4.5 billion. Around the time, it was $70 million. So it was still a lot. The DOJ did not identify so i guess it could have been the toad licking ding dongs because the doj report did not identify who the original hacker was that investigation still ongoing the hacker then transferred over one hundred and nineteen thousand stolen bitcoin bitcoins to heather and ilia it is worth noting here that ilia lichtenstein is a dual citizen of the united states and russia just throwing that out there oops might be a different kind of mafia not just yc (laughs) um And then over the last five years, about 25,000 stolen Bitcoins were transferred out of Lichtenstein's wallet, quote, via a complicated money laundering process that ended with some of the stolen funds being deposited into financial accounts controlled by Lichtenstein and Morgan. The remainder of those stolen funds, about 94,000 Bitcoin, remained in the same wallet that was used Hmm. to receive and store the illegal proceeds. From the hack. And then US special agents basically got search warrants for Lichtenstein's wallets, which were hosted somewhere in the public cloud. Those files had the keys that they needed to get to the digital wallet that directly received the funds. And that's how they got the Mm. Redfin sized thumb drive. Wow.
0: Okay. So somebody, they didn't do the hack,
1: just so we're clear. We don't know. We don't know know if they did that. It's not That clear investigation from the is still ongoing, but they haven't been accused of it. So, one assumes that they may not have. But it seems got to it. have been one of their friends, probably, because then somehow they got like, right. a lot of the Bitcoin. So, I just
0: want to pause for a second here. Number one, in all likelihood, they did not do the original crime because they would have been charged with the original crime, right? And the, we the charging no. documents. Mm-hmm. So, that I think that's a reasonable assumption that there's another shoe that's going to drop here. Somebody of, you know, probably some high intelligence hacker human factors uh manipulator <laughs> somehow got this money out of bitfinex and then on the other side that person decided to give their money to uh dip marty and wendy from ozarks <laughs> to launder for them and they didn't just give them i don't know a bitcoin
1: they gave them like over a hundred thousand bitcoins to mm-hmm. launder hundred and nineteen thousand stolen bitcoins to launder. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is unbelievable. This would Mm -hmm.
0: be like giving the person selling dime bags in Washington Square Park, like, I don't know, like a like an aircraft carrier, like fill, you know, like literally a container filled with marijuana or cocaine to sell like they're, they're they do not seem qualified to do this grift. So it makes me wonder about the intelligence of the person who stole this who gave it to them to launder.
1: I mean, criminal. We should not automatically assume intelligence on the part of criminals. Most That's of them true. get caught because they're dumb. And we should that say that part of the reason, part of the 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 evidence that these two toad licking ding dongs is not the terrible wrapping. It is, although that we're going to get to that in a minute. We haven't even got to that. It's that they stored again. They hosted their stolen Bitcoin, or at least the wallet. Right? Mm. The the wallets were hosted somewhere mm. in the public. Cloud, okay. So this ding dong was hosting like one hundred and nineteen thousand Bitcoin on like Google Drive. Yeah, I mean, stolen seems reasonable. Bitcoin on Google Drive, so it's like you take your stolen money and you put it in the bank. Now I wonder if because he had the keys to those, which means he might have had
0: the wallet addresses. Does this mean that the Department of Justice searched all Google drives for that wallet address? Like, did a blind search? And said we have a warrant for all Google drives. I wonder if there's a legal person out there. Would this be too wide of a search warrant? We know the wallet address of this you know uh, you know theft in question. Mm-hmm. We want you to search through every single Google Drive or every single iCloud drive for that specific wallet address or you know whatever the whatever. Identifying information. I wonder if they Don't could do a broad search like thing. that.
1: <laughs> well, let's. Um, this seems like a good setup, actually, for this clip. Maybe we can find some 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 yes. hints in this 83 second clip of Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco explaining how they okay. tracked the stolen Bitcoin. Now, all right, here we go.
3: As alleged, the defendants used sophisticated efforts to launder the stolen cryptocurrency, but thanks to good old fashioned police work. We traced the stolen funds from the exchange, which led us to a wallet containing over 2,000 Bitcoin addresses. From there, investigators followed the money to accounts at the notorious dark market Alphabay, an online forum dismantled by law enforcement in 2017. From Alphabay, the prosecutors and investigators from the Justice Department, IRS Criminal Investigation, Homeland Security Investigations, and the FBI followed the stolen money on its complex journey through a labyrinth of virtual currency exchanges and wallets based here and abroad. Our work also benefited from the private sector's due diligence. As the defendants tried to launder funds through various virtual currency exchanges, many asked questions about where the money came from or even froze funds based on their suspicions. Several exchanges, enforced anti money laundering policies and know your customer requirements that proved key to this investigation, showing how cryptocurrency can become safer and more reliable when we work together.
0: So that's fascinating. What notes do you have there based on uh, that summary?
1: Well, for one thing, I love how it like is like a procedural TV show where they give the press release and they're like, "Thanks to good old fashioned police work, aka." Yeah, I that one. <laughs> these dum-dums stored it on uh, the public cloud, and then Google told us exactly where to find it once we had the name of who it was. Right. Is part my note there? We should note that she mentioned it sounded. I know at first, like she said, "Alphabet." Hmm. She did not talk, but she did not say the notorious. Alpha Bay. The notorious alphabet. Alpha Bay is a dark web market that was shut down in twenty seventeen by law enforcement. But that is Alpha Bay and this is a a marketplace. This is not like a very
0: headstrong hot guy. Who you want to have as a boyfriend? It's not the Alpha Bay. It's not B A E. It's funny not though. B-A-E. Me... It's not the Alpha um, Bay.
2: You are an absolute
1: clown. <laughs> <laughs> when I heard Alpha Bay, I just thought like Salt Bay immediately. I was like, Alpha Bay. Wow, the Alpha Bay. Ooh, uh, he's a real Alpha. <laughs> dude, Tinder profiles across America just got an update yeah alpha bay (laughs) better than beta bay i guess
0: i suppose (laughs) this was
1: the market that they used to transfer these stolen bitcoins to the couple and remember this was way back this hack happened in 2016 so these people have been like laundering this money or trying to live the high life or doing whatever they have for years Mm. because alpha bay (laughs) that (laughs) that absolute unit was shut down in 2017
0: Good sleep is the ultimate game changer. And according to Eight Sleep, over 30% of Americans struggle with their sleep and temperature is one of the main reasons. And this is why when I got an Eight Sleep, all of a sudden I was getting better sleep and making better decisions and had better energy the next day because I could make it nice and crisp and cool when it was a hot night out or if it was really cold out, I could make it nice and toasty warm. And Eight Sleep is offering a new product that's called the Pod Pro Cover. So if you've already got a mattress you're in love with, you don't need to throw it away. Now you can just buy the cover and still experience the magic of Eight Sleep. The Pod Pro cover is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking, so you can add the cover to any mattress and the temperature of the cover will adjust to each side of the bed based upon your sleep stages, your biometrics, and the bedroom temperature. And it reacts intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. The result? Well, Eight Sleep users fell asleep up to 32% faster. And it reduced sleep interruptions by up to 40%. And basically, you're going to get a restful sleep overall. And so here's your call to action. Now you can add the pod pro cover to any mattress go to eight sleep.com slash twist to check out the pod pro cover and save $150 off at
1: checkout eight sleep.com slash twist via the DOJ press release. Here's how Bitcoin Bonnie and crypto Clyde did this, they used fake identities to set up online accounts, obviously wrote okay. scripts to automate transactions so that they could okay. do lots of transactions in a short period of time, deposited stolen funds into accounts at a lot of crypto exchanges and dark net markets, then they withdrew the funds. And this is, you know, they, they basically like pinged their IP address across lots of servers like they do on the TV. It made the transaction history harder to follow because it broke up the fund flow. They converted Bitcoin to other forms of crypto, a practice sure. known as chain hopping. And then they used U.S.-based business accounts to try to legitimize their banking activity. So it wasn't like the clunkiest of, I you know, wonder wonder money laundering schemes.
0: Now, let's just think of the scale of this. $3.6 billion a lot of money. I'm going to just take you through a scenario. I'm not saying that this scenario is true or not true or inside information or not. It's just a, what we call a scenario. Hmm. It's something for you to imagine. Mm-hmm. What if this group of individuals were involved in, let's say, an NFT project and they created, I don't know, thousands of wallets and they made some monkeys, you know, I'm just picking something out of a hat here, monkeys or, you know, bulldogs, I don't know, pigs, and they just made 10,000 of them and they started selling them. And these things had no value, but the value other people put on. (laughs) And then they started buying them from random accounts. And you had a history now. Of dozens of people bidding up uh, a monkey that was indifferent to its fate in the world. Like, yeah. Like a so bored the,
1: monkey. The monkey has some like ennui. It's just He's like just uh, indifferent. What's the He's like a little bit bored,
0: carefree, in like a carefree family. chimpanzee, something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> 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 this bored ape, you know, collection just skyrocketed. because I don't know, you were laundering billions of dollars Mm -hmm.
1: and then everybody
0: else got involved in it. And how would anybody know that said project was going to the moon because there was some whale buying them and then finding some bag holders to buy them after that. And then people said, yeah, how did you make your money? And they'd be like, well, I bought, you know, 500 of these indifferent apes these charming chimpanzees at some point (laughs) uh, for $6 each. And now they're worth 150,000. And I made a profit and I paid my taxes on it. So all is well and good. If I was going to wander money and I listen, I wouldn't get caught. I'd be like the Lex Luthor of this. but
1: (laughs) I mean, Mel in our chat is pointing out, think about the art and antiques world, which is Mel's real job. You could do a lot of it there too. Yeah. Just saying you could definitely. Now, Obviously, we don't think that NFTs were how these ding-dongs no. laundered I, I'm their I'm giving money. one example a, of like
0: crypto washing.
1: They did a sophisticated... Change when of- I said super clunky earlier, by the way, I mean, this is clunky in that it's complicated, but it's not unsophisticated, right? It was like, clearly, they knew how to move this crypto around in ways that would hide their trail somewhat, but not all the way. Okay, we seem to have found, breaking news, uh, I'm being told that we have, in fact, found a pitch email... <laughs> from Julia Lichtenstein. Or this of one was from
0: actually a Y Combinator
1: partner who sent this, oh.
0: like, because what they do regularly is they'll send out to investors, hey, a company's raising money like
1: we do at our Gotcha, gotcha. So it was just like a mafia email list that you're on. It's not a mafia email list. <laughs> uh, mixed rank. Everyone shares deals, it's a deal sharing. Here is mixed Rank has solved
0: the number one problem that 5.6 million inside sales reps, you know, people who dial for dollars. Uh, struggle with daily discovering qualified prospects. Our SaaS sales intelligent platform combines qualified signals about millions of companies with real-time verified contact information. For key decision-makers, letting sales teams quickly build highly targeted prospect lists and close more deals. More than 70 million customers, including Twitter, Facebook, Optimizely, and AdRoll, use MixRank. That's a pretty good list. Mm-hmm. To accelerate data driven outbound sales, since completing Y Combinator in 2011, MixRank has been growing at 4x annually with revenue doubling past seven months, now with 1 million. And they're raising their uh, Series A at 5 million. It didn't have the valuation. But anyway, um, yeah, this company was out there in that time period. They came, looks like they came to a couple of our events, I can see. So, or somebody from their team did, because I can see they did a review of one of our events. So that's super fascinating. So
1: you totally know him. You know,
0: him. I don't He's No, totally I, don't. I think it was like a that email is like a discussion about this. And yeah, very interesting time. We had a company doing something similar to this, like lead genius um, was one. Yeah. I mean, uh, listen, a good kid. business
1: to be in, but apparently yeah. it was not successful enough to keep crypto Clyde out of the crime world. I wonder who wound up investing
0: in mixed rank. So, I'm looking at their, I wonder if they actually got the job done and if it's still working. Total raised $1.5 million. Maybe we can look in Crunchbase and see who actually funded the company. Mm-hmm. So, there are funders here in Silicon Valley who know this individual.
1: You know, recently, I'm not trying to muddy this story at all, yeah. but you know that BuzzFeed just put out the names of the pseudo, pseudonymous founders, the pseudo-anonymous founders of Yuga Labs, which is the company behind Board Ape Yacht yes. Club. If we find out that, for example, <laughs> Wiley and Greg hacked Bitfinex back in the day. Okay, these are unrelated stories. I feel like I have to do my they journalistic all, yes, duty here and clear, say- It's unrelated and my speculation
0: is pure imaginary
1: speculation. I'm just talking,
0: joking. There, and I'm being sincere. There is no inside information here. There but is I do no
1: relation. There is something to be said here. Oh, you know, Mark Cuban invested in uh, I in just ILIA, put the story here, yeah. DCBC yeah. 500 Startups. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Quick on the draw, as always. Yeah. They raised
0: $1.5 million from 500 startups, from Mark Cuban, IAB founder, Rich LeFergie, I remember him, Media Trust Chairman, Peter Boards. Yeah, it seemed like a reasonable business. Zach Bogue, uh, Marissa Mayer's uh, other half, uh, Matt Akko, I know him. So that's super interesting. That, and, you know, this is the thing. You never know. Um, you know, sometimes the entrepreneurial class will draw people who are fond of money and collecting power. And so sometimes people can make really bad criminal decisions doesn't reflect on the entire industry, it just reflects on the number, the size of the industry and the scale of it that you'll run into, fraudsters, et cetera. But you know what's interesting about this BuzzFeed story?
1: Um, There were a bunch of people. Not the same story, by the way. Unrelated to. The unrelated story. Unrelated. When BuzzFeed
0: um, revealed the names of these individuals who sought anonymity there was a little brouhaha that they had been doxed to be clear you know when you have great power and you're responsible for something that's worth billions of dollars in economic impact or i don't know there was the um star slate codex guy um, mm-hmm. who got revealed you know these are s- themes on a story and people are saying the media is doxing folks okay if you're creating something that is creating billions of dollars of economic activity, you are not guaranteed to be anonymous. That is not doxing necessarily. Giving somebody's address is kind of doxing. Revealing who built something is not doxing necessarily.
1: Coindesk had a piece. I thought that put it really well because they were like, first of all, of course, it's okay to out these mm-hmm. founders because it is unambiguously a news story. Like a giant news story. It's, it's we'll not stop.
0: a tiny news story. It's, yeah.
1: Full stop. I mean, Andreessen Horowitz apparently is in talks to buy a stake in Yuga Labs, whose founders had been essentially anonymous up until this point, yeah. financing that would value the company at $5 billion, unambiguously Bonkers. a story.
0: Yes, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a, the scale of it makes it a public interest story. So how do journalists figure out if something's in the public interest? Well, it's a, it's a decision you have to make. If somebody was writing, uh, you know, a Tumblr blog about their depression and their sadness, and you went and revealed them, and it's just some 18-year-old with three readers. Well, no, that seems like what would be like not a news story, and you're unnecessarily creating harm for what good? Now, if somebody creates something that drives a billion dollars in activity or it becomes incredibly influential in the world, it's news. It becomes news. I, I didn't like the Star Slate Codex doxing or revealing i would say is a better term let's, let's, yeah, let's use two terms let's call it revealing the person's identity i thought that was probably unnecessary is it like somebody with three readers no but it wasn't somebody who needed to be revealed but they had been revealed previously mm-hmm. so this idea that you get to be anonymous because you say you deserve it or because you're scared of the ramifications in public you know welcome to the real world like if you're on the board of a company, or you become a billionaire, you get security. You know, it's just the you're nature of the bringer. beast. You're a public figure. you a celebrity. Speech,
1: right until you're not. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I'm not starting. To, I'm not trying to start some sh. Because what I really want to talk about today is the wrapping. That's all I care about. All right. Listen, when you're a founder, it's totally fun
0: to trade war stories with other founders. And recently, Balloon CEO Amanda Greenberg, one of my awesome portfolio companies, told me how Vanta's SOC 2 solution helped her save an important deal in the final hours. I kid you not. Well, Balloon, they sell SaaS productivity and collaboration software. That's why I invested in it. And They needed 10 documents in place within 48 hours in order to close a deal. Well, Vanta saved the day by supplying customizable templates and helping them through the process to close. So if you don't have your SOC 2 tight, you know you're not going to be able to close those major customers. That's why Vanta's compliance software makes it so easy to get and renew your SOC 2. They continually test against technical and non-technical SOC 2 requirements and they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. On average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks. Compare that to three to five months without Vanta. And guess what? Vanta's going to give you $1,000 off your SOC 2 just because you listened to This Week in Startups. So here's how you get the $1,000 off. You go to Vanta.com slash twist, V-A-N-T-A dot com slash T-W-I-S-T
1: that's Fanta.com slash twist for $1,000 off. Thanks, Vanta. Like, this is a good story. It's neat. Biggest financial thing ever seized by the DOJ. That's awesome. Now, <laughs> we have got to get to the part where these, this because these two are like the turn. greatest characters to yes. come along in I don't know how long, right? Like, you thought Adam Newman was like a fun character to follow. And then the things like all the bonkers stuff they were doing with all their money. No, 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 no. No. Heather Morgan, Forbes contributor, part time rapper, accused mm. Bitcoin money launderer, went by the, the stage name RazzleCon. Mm. And here are a couple of her greatest hits
3: AirPods, AirPods, motherfking AirPods. Where are my goddamn AirPods? Apple find my phone, but it won't work at home. Goddamn it, where are my AirPods? AirPods? What? No, for real though, why does Apple find my phone not Work well, for finding AirPods in the case, it's the worst. I mean, Anyone that's feel true me? though.
1: Razzle dazzle. <sighs> razzle we dazzle. We have to do it. I'm she sorry. ends all with razzle dazzle. Can you do we the first to one do too?
0: Okay, let's play the other one, and then I have a special game we're gonna play.
3: I'm a mother bad. Bitch. Go on, make me a sandwich.
2: You annoying,
3: like bitch. so lame, tragic. Oh. Wow!
1: Oh my god.
3: I, I mean, c- she PG is right 13. about the
1: AirPods, though. She, she is, is totally right. She is really right about that. Okay, what is
0: her rap name? I was trying to pronounce this. Razzle
1: Khan. Razzle Khan. Like Con. Star Trek. Khan. It's even or, better as Khan Academy. Academy. The Razzle Khan, yes. because it's a Razzle Con Because
0: Con. she's conning <gasps> people. Look at you. It's a Razzle Khan. Nice. All right. I'm going <laughs> to go with, for casting her for the Showtime series, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, written by mm-hmm. Brian Koppelman. Watch Party. Watch Party. <laughs> Ryan has got too much work in <laughs> crazy internet companies <laughs> and shenanigans. Okay, I'm going to give two choices. Mm-hmm. You tell me which one would play her better. Okay. Jessica Chastain.
1: Yeah,
0: I see it. Jessica Chastain, right? You remember Zero Doc 30, huh? Mm-hmm. I think she I was also... It. Yeah. Was she in Mo- Molly's Game, maybe? Okay. And then She's here's my wild card. Social uh-huh. media influencer, Bella Thorne. Also has been in some movies mm-hmm. well, that are know. not of note, um, but she's kind of a unique. Oh yeah, she's got social. Mm-hmm. If you if you look up Bell of Thorn or uh, I, 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 that's I know that's a that's a Bell of Thorn is a weird pull because she, people don't know who she is, but if you're if you're on social, you know who she is,
1: and she looks just like her. She, she looks, I mean, but wait and acts just like her, yeah, like literally Bell of like Thorns. This.
0: She was was a Disney star apparently. Step it up. Um, But then she kind of went crazy on social media. And then, remember she, oh, you know what? She was the one who created the OnlyFans, didn't get naked on OnlyFans, and then made a million dollars in the first month. And everybody was like, what? Why does this white woman get to come on here and then become the number one person and all these positive sex workers? You know, she's taking all the money away from them It was like a whole brouhaha that she had gentrified Mm. (laughs) OnlyFans. (laughs) Who do you got?
1: She looks like a younger, hold on, I'm trying to find her, because... Her name is Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne she looks is like a great a idea, Rose but Rose Burn. Byrne
0: is a little older now, maybe too know. old to play the part. But she she she's play her so in jail.
1: funny, though. Like, she just uh, could perfectly nail. She could. I would say Rose
0: Byrne is more qualified,
1: yes. Painful, awkward. I mean, if she was making those rap faces, like, you would laugh so hard. Have you seen that movie, Spy? With uh, I, Melissa I think, McCarthy and yeah, Rose yeah, I think Byrne. I've seen a little bit of it. I, like th- if you want the Rose Byrne best performance hysterical. ever, hysterical. Best
0: performance ever for Roseburn, Byrne, for me, as far as I'm concerned, hysterical. Is get him to the Greek. Oh yes, and uh, if you, she literally does a number of rap songs in that, uh, and
1: it's amazing. And uh, all these people are now posting the things that they her, encountered their her at because she yes. was, in fact. Oh, the duff. Not a bad call, Rachel Hillary Duff. I could see that. But what about Ilya? What are we looking at for Ilya here? Who's Hmm. gonna play this guy? He's kind of for those of you who are not watching the live stream, like he's a little he's pretty Russian looking. Kind of dorky looking. Weasley, a little weaselly. I mean, it's an interesting one. I yeah, it's a tricky one.
0: Tom Holland could pull it off. He's very good looking Tom Holland, Mm -hmm. obviously. But I think he could nerd it up. It'd be a little bit of a challenge for a Tom Holland. Uh, but that's what came to my mind
1: immediately. Yeah, Chalamet is too pretty. Who's in this like cohort even? Is Chalamet the one from Call, Actually, call Me Timothy By Sh- Your Name? Sh- Timothy, Timothy Chalamet is a good it. pull. Yo, you know what? He's perfect. Come on and now. he's got this nerdy little mustache. Hold on. Okay, no, I know. Timothy Chalamet. Oh yeah, look at this. Look at is this. is perfect. He's perfect. Yes. Ilya Lichtenstein, by the way, was a part-time poster. He even recently tweeted at Mark Andreessen about his low quality memes back in early January poster makes total sense. Uh, Of course he is how wild he wrote that billionaires who can do anything in the world choose to prioritize posting second rate memes on Twitter. Then of course P Marka with the last laugh yesterday because his team never sleeps or he never works unclear which is the case. Mark Andreessen tweeted, "Overheard, he was dunking on you when he should have been on his way a flight to Switzerland." Yeah, with well, Bobby Axelrod.
0: <laughs> Spoiler alert: Season Brutal. two, billions. <laughs> Brutal. Oh my alleged, lord! Yeah, he should have been in the course. Zerg.
1: <laughs> Alle- they're alleged, Bonnie and Clyde. Come on, alleged.
0: Yes, I mean we don't know they're guilty yet.
1: I mean they seem. We incredibly... have four by four ready. Bring it up. Bring it up. Oh my! We, we, we are geniuses. It. Nailed it! Nailed it! nailed it and then finally uh yes. la times business editor and one of my favorite people on twitter jeff Berkovici, Berkovici. i feel terrible because he actually in his bio he tells you how to pronounce his name but yes. i never looked before this F- a show a friend of the pod he's been on many times oh really he's, he's great. so good yeah we'll so sad he writes so <laughs> sad and predictable to see the anti-tech media once again, again. taking down hard-working crypto entrepreneurs for hmm. the crime of being successful and money laundering
0: so good. He, he did a follow-up one too. Young people who have grown ups speaking crypto and web three see money laundering as a new social norm. <laughs> Journalists who don't understand that will become irrelevant. I mean, huh? that is literally my replies. If you these crypto folks so are so good at PsyOps that if you give them even they're such snowflakes that if you give them even the most modest criticism, mm-hmm. They will get into your feet and be like, have fun being four, you poor, you don't get it, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh my God, it's so toxic. All I said was, do you think you should know your customer? And in this case, know your customer. That was the thing about the little press conference we played there, uh, the Law and Order press conference. <laughs> bum bum. We should have put the bum bum music. Behind Good it. old fashioned police work. Good old fashioned police work. We should have totally put that. Can we do yeah. that? In re- can we do that in post? The start of the year is always crazy and you might need some extra help. Sound familiar? That's the boat I'm in right now myself. So look no further than Fiverr Business. Fiverr Business puts a world of expert freelancers right at your fingertips. So you can get any project across the finish line and still be really proud of your work. Plus, they have everything you need to seamlessly integrate your new team members into your workflow. We love Fiverr at launch. We've used it many times. Research is one of the things I love to do. I like to find out all of the startups, all of the different founders in a category, a country. And I was wasting all this time trying to get this data. So I used their researchers and they were amazing. You want to stop wasting time searching for talent and you just want to leave it to Fiverr Business. They have a team of dedicated business success managers that will help match you with the best talent for your team. So there's no more endless guessing, no more interviews. Plus, you can save and share your favorite freelancers for future projects. So find the freelancer you need to give your next project the boost it needs to finish strong. Right now, you can sign up at Fiverr Business, absolutely free for the first year. Get one year for free and save 10% on your purchase of Fiverr Business with the promo code, Jason, what a promo code. Just go to fiverr.com slash business, F-I-V-E-R-R.com slash business. And don't forget to use the promo code Jason to get 10% off. But Jeff makes a very good point because people, I think... If you are in crypto right now, listen, I see a lot of companies, I work with a lot of companies, the amount of entitlement, insanity, accountability, and reasonability in crypto is at an all time, like, either low or high, depending on what's worse, like, yeah. no accountability, ridiculous entitlement, no discipline, uh, madness, no buttoned up nature to this, everybody's just winging it. And you know what, like, it's a bad look for crypto. Every I mean, crifter, look, I'm every sorry, it is, has and don't like you know. Yeah. There are
1: going to be a lot of people who like, and there's one in the chat right now being like, "Not all Bitcoiners." Hey, it doesn't matter if the poster, yeah. the poster behavior for your thing is brigading, is this incessant attacks, right? Explain and
0: brigading. Yeah,
1: brigading is like when you go and get all your friends slash bots on yeah. the internet to attack a person. Mm. On a specific thing, it is targeted yes. hara- targeted coordinated harassment. and Like I do with prof- with Prof G, and his announcement, <laughs> like with, with his predictions. Like I do with Prof G. Yes, I, and I, the thing I, is, and look, this is the case. <laughs> you know, I mean, sorry, yes. Tesla fanboys do it. Crypto fan, there's a lot of crossover yeah, people, there. There's a lot of crossover in these communities that that are that passionate. started out as rightfully passionate about a yeah. thing that a lot of people don't totally understand and maybe come down on. But the fact is, like, if you can't take people asking real questions. Mm. about a thing whatever that thing is actual critiques real lived experiences with the thing in question like you're just hurting mm. yourself in the long run you're just hurting your brand in the long run
0: yeah you got to get it under control i think the toxic bitcoin the toxic left the toxic right everything in between toxic joe rogan people toxic tesla people tesla q Extremists you know, any of are those bad. things like just do not get in people's at mentions and harass them make your point intelligently. But what I do is I always take, I always look at the profile page. Nine times out of 10, when somebody's like, stop interrupting Sachs," who, you know, gets to give the longest monologues on all of all in, it's always from some account that was created in under six months with no followers that follows the top 100 people. It's like, oh, it's another spam account. And there's a software that lets you create like a hundred accounts at a time, mm-hmm. I understand, or scripts that allow you to do that. So people create hundreds of these things and then they just coordinate them. And so they'll attack you for criticizing Bitcoin. As a, as a strategy to get people to stop criticizing. And that's what makes it look like a Ponzi scheme. Yep. And you know, that is one of the signs of
1: a Ponzi is attacking anybody who questions the Ponzi. Yep. And that's what we see in crypto too often. We do. And then you get an equal and opposite extremist reaction. Yes. So that for example, when who was it who tweeted about having an NFT? Uh it was Captain Marvel, Breed Larson, tweeted yes. about having an NFT um She got an picture, NFT apparently gifted then to her. Yeah. she just got this like... Demolished. She just got demolished by the equal and opposite reaction, right? Whenever you make something into like a cult, then you get an equal and opposite reaction. A cult People on the other side who's like, this is in defense, No, which,
0: Brie, don't do it. Don't do don't it, I you did it. Don't and be so Don't be me Meanwhile, Steph Curry has got a board ape, like a uh, Alexis Ohana, and a lot right. of... I'm so disappointed in so you. So disappointed. Do Brie. better. Do, do better, better Brie. <laughs> honestly, Brie, do better. Seriously. You know what I'd Brie? like? Can somebody create a do better Jason bot that, and no matter what I tweet, it just within like Responds, a microsecond just says, do better Jason. Yes. Just retweet it and just do better yes. Jason. <laughs> I would love that. Do, just <laughs> do be better, clear,
1: do better is like an instant block for me. Like, I'm just like, oh no. Just to... To ruin my mentions yet again. Hey, Uh-oh. the fun other thing about crypto is it's environmentally indefensible, which gets us to oh, no. today's guest.
0: <laughs> uh, okay. It is not environmentally un... indefensible. Oh, you're, is the word. You're,
1: are you yeah. trolling? Kind of, but
0: not really. Okay. Because, I mean, so much of crypto is more efficient than printing dollars mm. and shipping them around. Mm. Right? And then dollars some of them- Dollars are the
1: world's reserve currency, though. Crypto was just invented.
0: Well, I know, but let's just say there is a crypto that is above board, regulated, doing everything right. You would think
1: Maybe that I that would say be that more NFTs. efficient. Than it's, Maybe it's I should the- be more specific. NFTs are environmentally indefensible. Crypto and blockchain are environmentally damaging. And even if they're getting better, they're mm-hmm. still, you know, even if they are end up incentivizing some renewable energy, it's renewable energy that's used for that and not yeah. something else. And it, at this point, it's just... When I say indefensible, I mean literally that it is. You, there is not a good defense, right? Particularly you have to when you get into there is a NFTs. carbon cost too. There is a carbon cost, and it's right. high, and it should be zero or
0: close to zero because this is being done on servers. So do better, crypto
1: better, <laughs> people do better that's gonna be my new, my new catchphrase too bad anyway yes i also now have effectively trolled myself so you're welcome yes. everyone welcome to
0: at mollywood's replies for the next
1: 24 hours yep let's uh toss to uh, a great
0: interview uh peter reinhardt is uh from charm industrial and they are doing carbon sequestration carbon I capture And carbon capture, basically. No, they're doing carbon capture. So, what? It's a really interesting concept. He was, of course, the founder of Segment, which got bought by Twilio for over three billion dollars. But he is. It talks to me in this great interview about taking biomass. You know, like think the things that come off of wheat or corn that we don't actually use, which is then going to decompose and put carbon in the atmosphere. Well, what if you could take that, make it into a slurry slash liquid, and pour that liquid into? say the holes that came from taking oil out of the ground, and that it caused no damage, and then it wouldn't put carbon into the atmosphere. And then you could sell that to people who are putting carbon into the atmosphere, or you could just remove that portion of the carbon being put into
1: the atmosphere. That would be something that might interest you, Molly. I'm super into this. And I was crushed that I could not go to this interview, because I think like every step in this direction is so uh, unbelievably useful. And I mean, I think to your point, the fact that they take this waste, turn it into a liquid and store it underground means that they are also sequestering carbon, which hopefully makes it um, more scalable. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at the goals coming out of COP26, or even the Paris Agreement, or everybody's, you know, the United States net zero carbon goals, they all rely on this technology that in many cases does not yet exist. At scale, so, it's a big one. Great interview. As, yeah, as we Super learned
0: with our John Dora interview from Sunday, you know, you, there's like 20 different things that have to get done here across six categories with four different constituents, and like this is one of them, which is, hey, if there's things that are occurring naturally to put carbon in the atmosphere, if you can, you can help that way too. So it doesn't just need to be replacing, uh, you know, a, a diesel or a gas powered ice engine in your car with a an EV. Certainly that helps, but. There are just things that occur naturally that uh, are putting carbon into the atmosphere. So everything that gets carbon out of the atmosphere is going to help. Yes, 100%. Let's go for it, folks. All right. Enjoy the interview. All right, everybody. Next up on the program is Peter Reinhardt. If you remember, he was last on the program, episode 935 in May of 2019, when Segment was worth, oh, just over a billion dollars. And. Everybody knows segment, they've sold a customer data platform for a long time that analyzes segments of your users so you can understand, you know, how different cohorts are using your product from different time periods or different funnels, maybe you have some Twitter users, some Google search users, and it really is um, one of those industry standard uh, products that everybody uses. And uh, we talked with Jeff from Twilio about acquiring it uh, back in October of 2020. And Peter is back on the program to talk about his new startup slash mission in life, uh, which is in the climate space. Welcome back to the program, Peter.
4: Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be
0: back. Uh, great to have you back. Congratulations on the sale. Thank you. Uh, how did you come to make that decision? Very hard decision for founders. Uh, obviously, the fact that it got bought for $3.2 billion takes the edge off. But, you know, when you're that successful and things are going in the right direction, You could have gone the IPO route, SPAC route, stay private route, or sell route. So maybe take the founders who listened to this week in startups through your decision-making process there before we get to your new startup.
4: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I first started talking with Jeff about it maybe a year and a half before we actually went through with the the sale. And I think he had a, a vision for how the messaging that Twilio has for sending SMS and emails and so on could be combined with the data that we had in Segment, and how that would make both more powerful and really help customers send better messages once they had the data alongside it. So that was his vision. And at first, I just like, I, did, I didn't see it. And so I just kind of mm. punted it. I was like, Jeff, I'm not interested. Uh, mm. I don't see it. I don't hear customers talking about it that way. But after about a year, I started to notice that customers were really kind of talking about it differently. Huh. Ah. Customers were actually talking about it in those terms. They're like, look, I send a lot of messages. I'd like to send them in a more intelligent way. I'd like to use the data to to send it. And so I started to see it more from Jeff's eyes of like, oh, actually, this would be like a crazy differentiated value proposition this would be a crazy differentiated company if you actually did have both of these things. Wow, it's actually a huge opportunity. And so that, I think, made it very compelling and, and interesting. Explain and,
0: to the and, audience how uh, the greatest example you can think of, of somebody who has segmented their data, has all their cohort data there, and they want to message people. What would be a, a, just a great example for people to understand this synergistic
4: concept? Sure. Let's suppose you have a bunch of signups on whatever your service is online. Uh, you probably have people of different types signing up people from say, it's a B2B company. You got people signing up to small companies, people signing up from big companies, people signing up in different roles. Some of them might be in procurement. Some of them might be in marketing. Some of them might be in engineering. Different seniorities. So you have like a whole three dimensional, four dimensional matrix of like who's signing up. And if you just send one message, that's like, thanks for signing up for X. You're not going to get great engagement. But if you actually send through messages that are targeted in this like four dimensional space of like, hi, I saw you're like the procurement person in a large enterprise, like, here's the tools that you need from our documentation. And here's some attachments for how you can really engage with us best in, in the buying process. You get like massive lift in terms mm. of selling better and marketing better into those into those segments. And so it totally changes the message that you send, it might even change the channel that you send that message on. Yeah. Um, and so that's the sort of superpower that the two combined uh, mm. can deliver.
0: I'm seeing that a lot in e-commerce companies where we all get a we buy something on nike.com and then all of a sudden it's like they know I'm a runner. They know I buy, you know, two or three pairs of shoes at a time. So now they can say, "Oh, runner, California, bought these colors before." The email can be customized or they could just say, "Hey, runners in California who are male who are size 10." And who have bought over 10 peer pairs and have been with Nike over this amount of time. So, like, it's, marketers are kind of ready for that
4: stuff, huh? That's right. Nike's a great customer of, of segment and toy.
0: There you go. I mean, it literally, I, when you were talking about the vision, I was thinking about my emails from Nike and how sophisticated they are. Because they know I like Air Max. They know, And, you know, I don't get this from Sacconi or the other running brands. Um, now, I don't buy direct from them that often, but they, they don't seem to have invested in this, but it, it is something that will come down to all, I think, companies. Where, where does AI come into all this? Did your customers start asking you for machine learning and AI towards the end of your tenure there? Because it does seem to me, you know, when I get my YouTube message of like, or Twitter, here's what you missed since you last logged in. That's super AI machine learning, isn't it?
4: It is. I think most marketers in practice are constrained by the logistics of data. Uh, you know, they're like copy pasting spreadsheets around and like trying to trying to make data points match and stuff like that. So in reality, I think they're constrained by the logistics of data, but everyone aspires to solve the logistics, which is what Segment and Twilio yeah. do, such that then you can put all of your effort into the infinite divisibility of your customer base into not just four dimensions, but 100 dimensions and so on. Yeah. So many dimensions that you eventually need to discover those dimensions and, and segmentation by machine learning and right. eventually so much so that you couldn't possibly write content in that many variations. And so then you, you wouldn't to even understand
0: about. what the machine's doing, right? It'd be like, totally. we don't even so, know yeah. why we're sending you these
4: shoes, but yeah. So in that limit is I think where the vision <laughs> of AI and machine learning comes, but the I think the pragmatically on the ground, everyone's constrained by the logistics of getting the data into the right spot right now.
0: So just curious on the acquisition front, do you then call Jeff up and go, Hey, I think remember that conversation we had a year ago, or is he just pursuing you every six months saying, Hey, how's everything going?
4: Yeah, Jeff and I chatted about it once a quarter uh, oh, wow. and uh, for a year and a half. Um, wow. And uh, then kind of simultaneously, there was a handful of interest in the uh, handful of interested parties in the, in the company. And so things started moving.
0: For the for the folks who don't understand, how does that work on like a board level when you're like, hey, I want to sell my company. Here's the opportunity. Are the VCs we always hear about this? They want you to go long. They want you to go public. How did the dynamic work where you had to build consensus and then get to a sale, and then and then we'll go on to charm industrial, industrial.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was also a very unique moment. So this mm-hmm. was this was the middle of 2020. Uh, COVID had just hit. The mm-hmm. economy was down massively. Sales mm-hmm. had slowed massively. I uh, we had actually just done a layoff of about oh, 10%. Wow. Most companies are uh, a lot of, a oh, lot like of Airbnb companies
0: did a third. I think if I'm remembering correctly, yeah. Uber I think did 20 most high growth
4: companies did about a 10%. The brakes, right?
0: It's kind of scary, exactly. right? Like you're like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Like it's unprecedented and you just have to do something to cut burn.
4: Yep. And so I think in that moment it was, it was easy for folks around the table to kind of see the risks Mm. Uh, of staying an independent course and easy to see the upside, but the strategic upside that is still very obvious of like bringing data and messaging together, yeah. but also the upside in terms of like going and winning the market and and having the resources to just go go make it happen
0: did you stick around for a while or did you they just wanted to take it over what What was your uh relationship there
4: yeah i my intention was to stay stay quite a while i i I stayed for a little over a year um and uh felt like a really like valued member of the of the executive team there. It was awesome working with a bunch of folks like Kozema, who's now the chief operating officer, Ayal, who's the incoming chief product officer, super, super sharp folks, Jeff's incredible marketer. Um, so lots to learn and and really like amazing team. What kind of started to happen to me in parallel about four years ago, I helped start a carbon removal company called yeah. uh, Charm Industrial. And here and we go. <laughs> Perfect <yeah>. segue. <laughs> Yeah. And I, it was like, you know, a half day a week at first. And then, you know, it was like a day a week. And then over the course of 2021, uh, Charm just started taking off. Like we started winning contracts from, uh, not just Stripe and Shopify, but also Microsoft and, uh, Square and Zendesk and a whole bunch of others. Like we started delivering carbon removal in Oklahoma and Kansas. Uh, we started having conversations with the regulators, like things just started exploding. Mm. and so i found myself a little bit between a rock and a hard place of uh, frankly feeling like i still had a lot left to do at uh at twilio um but also feeling like this is a really important problem to solve in power yeah. removal and like charms off to the races like i can't i can't stop you know
0: it's like you, when you start getting that market pull for your startup yeah and you're just like it takes all your attention then your your brain and your heart tells you like this is where i need to be and hard to let go isn't it like of the previous company but it's impossible to not take the next journey
4: totally and this is a champagne problem but like it it's a problem nonetheless that like i can't i can't both be at cop 26 in glasgow meeting with regulators who would like to have that meeting <laughs> and simultaneously be in exec team meetings back in san francisco for twice so it, it just got to a place of physical impossibility so not not easy and and definitely sad to kind of say bye to a company that i spent ten and a half years and uh, as I, I remember
0: believe. the origin story, Charm Industrial, you were trying to figure out, hey, how do I offset all this carbon, you know, the energy I'm using at uh, segment? And you went on that little discovery to try to figure out, I don't know, do I buy carbon offsets, et cetera. So, so take us through what happened three or four years ago when you went on that journey and how frustrating it was. And then how you wound up actually coming to this really interesting, you know, sawdust Byproduct oil. <laughs> and we'll get into that technically in a moment.
4: Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. About six years ago, I started trying to figure out how to offset segment's emissions. And like, segment doesn't, you know, directly burn a lot of fossil fuels. <laughs> this is like flying around for sales and buying food servers. for the and stuff like that. servers. Yeah. yeah. Um, Food for the office is surprisingly large. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. In terms of emissions, uh, so I was trying to figure out that we kind of like roughly estimated our footprint and our emissions footprint, and then we went and purchased a bunch of offsets. And yeah, these are like rainforest offsets uh, in Indonesia, I think. And we didn't think too much about it. We just made the purchase and moved on. And then a year later, we were kind of looking at it in more detail. And we're like, wait a second, what actually what happened when we purchased those offsets? And the more that we dug into it, the more kind of not great we felt about it. Like, uh, probably 70% of the money got spent on marketing agencies in the U.S. 30% actually purchased uh, uh, some forest in Indonesia, which is great. I'm sure that helps from an ecological perspective. But from a carbon perspective... Like the next year, there were huge raging forest fires in Indonesia. And like, I wasn't quite sure that like, did they just cut down the forest next door? Like, I, I couldn't really tell what impact those dollars had. So I kind of got uh, sucked into the rabbit hole, if you will, of like, okay, yeah. like what's the better solution and where where do we need to pay attention? And so spent about a year with some friends, Kevin Meisner, uh, who's now a co-founder at Yardstick uh, and was a co-founder at Charm and Sean Meehan and Kelly Herring just digging into industrial decarbonization and carbon removal.
0: Explain to people who don't know what carbon removal decarbonization is versus buying carbon offsets or or other devices to try to stop global warming, because that's what this is all about at its quarry, correct?
4: Yeah. So, about you know, the problem is that we're releasing chemicals into the atmosphere that are creating sort of radi- radiative forcing that's pushing a bunch of infrared light back into the planet and heating it up. And the two sort of molecules that matter the most are carbon dioxide and methane. Carbon dioxide is probably 70-ish percent of the problem, and methane is probably 30% of the problem. Uh, Within carbon dioxide, probably a third-ish comes from the electrical grid and power stations. Probably a third comes from transport, give or take, and a third comes from industrial and agricultural and so on. Um, and everyone is really dialed into like transport and grid, right? Like mm. decarbonize the grid and switch over to electric cars. But there's like almost half the problem sits outside that, mm. it's just in CO2, not to mention methane. So, like, yeah. actually, the part of the problem that everyone's focused on is like maybe a third of the total problem. Right. And so these other areas are, are interesting. Um, industrial decarbonization is like steel manufacturing, cement, man- cement kilns, ammonia production, methanol, plastics, all this kind of stuff that is kind of gritty and we'd rather not think about. So when
0: we make those things, we pour carbon into the atmosphere. It's the manufacturing of concrete that is just, you know, it, it's not like we're going to be able to say, like, don't use concrete because concrete is how we build a lot of things, especially in the developing world.
4: Ditto steel. Like we're not going to yeah. stop using steel. Kind of hard. But right yeah. now we make it with coal. There's there's a single steel company that emits 150 million tons a year just operating. Brutal. Just operating their their yeah. uh, steel manufacturing plants. So yeah. Um, all their furnaces. So uh, I got really interested in like decarbonizing that. Like, what are the processes to do that? And carbon offset is where you say, hey, we're both going to emit a ton. I'll pay you not to emit your ton, so that I can mm. emit my ton. Yeah. We still end up with one ton in the atmosphere additional. Right. A removal is where I say, I'm going to emit one ton, but I'm going to pay you to remove a ton. So I'm truly not emitting anything. Right. And so that, the removals is actually an extremely underdeveloped space. Like, we kind of hear about it in the news, you know? Like, you see Climeworks, for example, an amazing company yeah. based in Switzerland. They've deployed this big set of fans that are collecting and absorbing CO2 out of the atmosphere, and they pump it underground in Iceland. They've got these big, beautiful I did fans. see that, that are, yes. Yeah. So and this is literally
0: trying to pull carbon out of the atmosphere and then somebody who's putting it in says okay i'm still going to put it in there's no way for me to avoid that i'm flying a a jet or whatever it is therefore i'll pay you to pull it back out that's right fascinating Um, now that business exists you you have some spin on this business that you discovered what is it
4: my co-founder sean had a very interesting breakthrough about two years ago which is he realized that Hey, we already have 110 billion tons a year of bio, of CO2 coming out of the atmosphere into biomass and then going back into the atmosphere as that biomass rots and burns, like forest fires in the Sierras every year. Or all of the corn crops that we grow in the Midwest, all that residue, all the stalks and leaves, they just rot and go right back into the atmosphere. So in other words, plants have already done the work of capturing it and then just we just let it go back. So what if we had a way of sort of turning that into a liquid? Mm -hmm. and then injecting it deep underground.
0: So let me see if I follow this. Somebody is out there making sugarcane, corn, wheat, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of chaff or something that's not used. What's left over when we take what we need out of those crops? And it just sits there in a field and decomposes. But in the decomposure process, it is releasing carbon into the atmosphere. Am I correct? That's right. So you can take that material... And then do some process to it that makes it liquid. Take that liquid instead of going into the atmosphere and pour it underground.
4: That's correct. And It seems incredibly simple. <laughs> and importantly, we have to take some part of the material that we take. comes out yeah. of solid char and ash and, and potash nutrients. We have to put those back on the field. Which right. actually is very regenerative for the soil, which is super exciting in its own right. When you put carbon in potash, you sort of close the nutrient loop, make sure the soil is actually getting healthier over time, not that you're just sort of extracting and extracting.
0: And when we think about economic incentive, am I correct here? And I really appreciate you explaining this to me and being patient with me because this stuff is way above my pay grade. And I think maybe a lot of people in the audience feel intimidated by it. But the farmers who are making, you know, something that results in, I don't know, sawdust, nutshells, stalks from corn or whatever it is, there's no economic incentive for them to do anything other than throw that stuff away or put it in a field next to their cornfield. Am I correct that there's no economic incentive? There's nobody going to buy that stuff.
4: That's right. So if you're like the average uh, smallholder farm in, in the US growing corn, you're probably making like on the order of $100,000 uh, a year in revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a gross market, like a profit basis, you're probably making 10 to 20K Hmm. per year on that uh meaning you're probably also doing some other stuff because uh, that's not really enough to live on yep and if we then come in and buy the biomass if we come in and buy the bales of corn stover and so on it's an additional like almost a doubling of net profit because they weren't going to do it. anything with it anyway so now it's just like totally net new revenue so that's the economic incentive they have no existing economic incentive for it but if we come in and buy it and then turn it into this bio oil that goes underground and puts some nutrients back on their field, it can be a really winning proposition for them.
0: Okay, so another stupid question (laughs) on behalf of the audience, myself and people who are trying to understand climate, doesn't like uh, getting that stuff and transporting it somewhere and the process of turning into a liquid take a bunch of energy? So how do you make that energy less than the cost of the energy to just leave it in the field to rot?
4: So the energy for our process comes from the biomass itself. That's God. the key. Okay. So we're not using any power off the electrical electric grid or anything like that. In other words, it's a, you give it a kick to get it started, and then it's a self-sustaining uh, sort of system. Ah. Uh, another important point is that you're right, bi- transporting biomass... Is really expensive or really inefficient yeah. from a carbon perspective. Nutshells, corn stalks, Actually, sawdust. <laughs> not so much that it's heavy. The problem is that uh, it's fluffy. And so, oh, you just so it just takes a lot of volume and you, yeah. You can't fit it. You can't fit it on a truck. So Got like it. if you look at the economics of it, it's about ten dollars a ton on the field. So if you just don't move it, just let it sit there. It's about sixty-five bucks a ton at the farm gate. And then it's about $125 a ton, like significantly down the road. Got So it. Part of the whole proposition for how charm operates is we build these machines that do this conversion in a 40-foot shipping container form factor. Ah. Uh, and the plan is to deploy them at the field edge. So deploy them all the way out right at brilliant. the farm and then follow the harvest. And that means that you cut out all of this opex and effort and expenditure and carbon emissions associated with moving it. Eventually uh-huh. we actually want to operate on the field, like a combine harvester or a custom harvester unit. And these are like crews of guys that follow the harvest with combines. Wow. We'll have a similar model eventually of following the harvest with, you know, a wolf pack of 10 or 20 paralyzers. So, um,
0: if I'm correct in understanding, hey, you go to the farm, you take the byproduct. Let's call it corn stalks, just because that's easy to envision. You put the corn stalks into some sort of a vat, start some chemical uh, processes, and then it liquefies. And I guess that makes it denser. Is Am I correct in mm-hmm. that regard? And this... Okay oil or slurry or something you're creating is not dangerous to the earth because it's bio product it's not like you're burning it you're not putting this in the back of another tractor to drive it you're just saying hey we've sequestered it so now it's not going to release it therefore we can put it into the ground you put it underground takes a little energy i guess to drill a hole or something or maybe you're filling up a cave but that's no big deal if if you know whatever hundreds of millions of gallons of this was buried underground it wouldn't be
4: a big deal, correct? Correct. And a couple of things to clarify on the put underground portion. Mm. Um, We are very excited about eventually using abandoned oil wells. So across the United States, there's about 2.1 million abandoned wells, oil and gas wells. That uh-huh. are just leaking natural gas, like generally like leaking oil at the surface It's a total mess. There's actually wow. over $4 billion allocated in the last infrastructure bill to help clean up uh, some wow. of these wells. It's a huge problem. But anyways, we'd like to u- reuse those wells. Um, and so this is injecting way deep underground into old oil and gas reservoirs. Um, we're not like way far away from aquifers, like 1000s and 1000s of feet down.
0: Got it. And what is the nature of the oil or biomass liquid you're creating? Is it like does it look like oil? Is it like liquid? Does it evaporate? Does it just slowly decompose? What happens to it over 100 years? Because I, I, I'm starting to think of like, who's going to try to stop you in this process? I think you sort of cut me off at the past, which is like, oh, my God, is it going to affect the, the, the water shed and the water table? But if you put it somewhere where oil was previously and dead dinosaurs were, well, that, was, that had something really gnarly in it. And this is not less gnarly. So that's like almost an upgrade,
4: right? Yeah, so uh, bio oil itself, oil is really a misnomer. Bio oil is about 25% water, mm. give or take, another 25% acetic acid, give or take, and then about 300 other compounds huh. that are all derived from cellulose. Got and it. the pyrolysis process is just heating up cellulose, uh, mm. which is basically raw biomass, straw, stuff like that. Um, One of the most important, there's a few, two properties of bio oil that are really important in terms of its sequestration underground. One of them is, uh, is its density. So after Mm -hmm. injection, the question is, what happens? Is the water table going to try to push it up or is it going to sink? And bio oil is very dense. It's denser than water. It's denser than salt water that it's injected into typically in these formations. And so it's actually going to sink in the formation. Got it. Uh, and the other cool thing is bio oil has a lot of phenols in it. I realize it's getting technical, but what's cool about phenols is they polymerize. So they turn into long chains. If you heard of like phenolic resin, basically they become mm. solid. And so what's cool about that is we inject the bio oil, it sinks, and we've done core sample tests at the surface that show that within a couple of days, the bio oil actually becomes solid. Uh. And the and that doesn't happen at the surface, because at the surface, it's colder. But down whole, it's like, you know, 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 200 degrees Fahrenheit. And so you get this very rapid reaction that causes it to become solid. So this is like this is like gold standard permanence, where you like mm. inject it, it sinks, and it becomes solid. <laughs> it's not going anywhere.
0: Fascinating. How much, so, you know, it's incredible to put an entrepreneur's mind, you know, and lean startup thinking, or, you know, whatever uh, methodology you like, A-B testing, and, and just consistent iteration on each step of this process. So as you go through and you make each step more efficient, and think for the from first principles, what's the best way to, you know, uh, pick this stuff up, bring the, you know, bioreaction chamber to this place, and then where to put it, I guess the question is total addressable market. Now, how much of this biomass is sitting out there that we can sequester uh, and make into this uh, biomass liquid and then bury? And then what impact would that have? So if you were to truly scale this and you can make 100,000 of these trucks that are going all over North America, what impact would it
4: have? So you're right. The constraint is biomass. Uh, The constraint is not like subsurface geology. We could put like, Almost unlimited amounts of, <laughs> of bio oil down there. The constraint is not that machines, we can build many machines. Uh, in fact, they get cheaper and cheaper as we scale, which is great. You're right that the constraint is biomass. In the United States, as one example, there's a hundred million acres of corn grown every year. Each acre of corn uh, produces about four dry tons of stover or straw. Uh we can only take half of that for kind of sustainability uh, reasons. So that's that by itself is 200 million tons of of biomass. If you then look at the other crops, sugarcane bagasse, wheat straw, timber slash from forestry operations, forest fire thinning, beetle kill thinning like all these different things. In North America, you very quickly get up to a billion tons a year of biomass, which translates into a billion tons a year of removal, give or take. If you then go global, it's somewhere between 5 and 10 billion tons a year potential in terms of removal via CHARMS process. Now that 5 to 10 billion tons of year compares to currently 50 billion tons a year of emissions. So we can maybe 10 to maybe 20% of current emissions. But What's really important to remember is we first have to go do massive reductions, right? We have to go eliminate all the emissions coming from the grid, all the emissions coming from transport, all industry, all industry emissions, the removals really have to be used to go clean up the stuff that we've already emitted, mm. the historical emissions that are already in excess of what we can handle. So this isn't this isn't a market that really us outside of initially like this, this isn't a, this isn't a technology that should be used to allow us to keep emitting, we have to get reduction, we have to reduce back to zero, and then we got to go clean up all the all the junk that we've left in the atmosphere
0: so in a way we got to pay down the debt we owe we got to, and and in knowing what you know now um we have a a large number of folks you know out there in the world who are panicking about global warming are you in panic mode concern mode optimistic mode or i'm certain you're not in despondent mode like many of the people i see who are like I don't want to bring children into this world because it's going to be a literal hot mess, you know, that they're going to inherit. How do you feel personally about the state and the chances that we actually reverse, not just contain, but actually get into that what you talked about reversing it and paying down our debt in our lifetime?
4: Can we get there? I think there's a really important transformation that we need to go through as a society for how we approach dealing with climate change. We've spent a lot of the last 20 years, unfortunately, in in broader society, kind of screaming at the scoreboard of like, this is a problem and screaming louder and louder that this is a problem with low clarity and low agency on actually just going and making a change. And I think this is summed up to some extent in in a quote that I saw from Greta Thunberg recently but she said look it's not my it's not my job to figure out the solution it's my job to demand a solution from from our governments right and i i think there's a little bit of a misnomer in there which is like Oh, I'll forgive her she's a she's a child like i don't expect her to solve the problem per se but like yeah i think that mentality of like the lack of agency embedded in that that like no we can we can go figure out the problem like i specifically need to go work on this problem and we need right. many people saying i specifically am going to go actually figure this out and i'm not just going to scream at the scoreboard and hope that someone else goes and figures it out and so i think people generally think that the space is is much fuller of people working on it than it is. There was a, a conference in September in hosted in by Climeworks that basically brought together pretty much the whole carbon dioxide removal space. Everyone sat around two tables, and some companies had multiple representatives there. And so just the, the thinness of the frontier and how few people are actually sort of acting on it with agency, I think is maybe the biggest problem. Um, and I would love to see more people coming into the space and as competitors are working in other areas and... and Feeling yeah. agency on the problem, I think, is the transformation that we need to go through. Yeah. Um, and that's that's starting to happen, and that's, that's giving me optimism.
0: It's definitely happening in a major way. We had John Dora on the program recently, and he's got a new book out. Actually, you're mentioned in it. The book is Speed and Scale. I'm not sure if you got a copy yet uh, okay. or an advanced copy. But, you know, he kind of outlines there's kind of like roughly four groups of people involved in this. And you got the policymakers, politicians. You got the entrepreneurs like yourself, capital allocators like myself. And actually, you're a capital allocator because my understanding is you you got a lot of skin in the game. You put a lot of your own money in this? Yep. Millions of dollars? Tens of millions? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thank you <laughs> first. And I hope it works out as an investment, at the very least. Um, so you have capital, allocation. you have consumers. And if we look at those four groups, it seems to me three of them are doing their jobs. And maybe one group is maybe not. Consumers, you agree, are really voting with their dollar, Correct.
4: Yeah, I think so. I, I, the consumers are also a tough one. Consumers definitely are voting with their dollars, voting with their like uh, support. I think people vote even in a bigger way with their employers. Interestingly, ah, explain where that they want where they want to go work, right? Mm, do you explain. want to work? Uh, imagine you are like a millennial Gen Z. Do you want to go work at a company that like has a footprint and just doesn't care, or do you want to go work at the company that is like, no, we're going to get to net zero asap because we care about the future and we care about young people, like. Which is going to have an easier time recruiting young people and like the upcoming generation of super smart people who want to work super hard, like yeah. So employer branding is big. So I think consumers almost have more pull through through employer uh, action than anything else. Uh, th- sorry, there is one thing you have to be careful of with consumers is BP British Petroleum actually did an incredible job, a credible ad campaign. Uh, We're like- sorry. Yeah, like a couple decades ago where they basically reframed the problem not as something that companies needed to work on, but as something that individuals needed to take individual responsibility for. Yeah. Which is sort of true, but it was like really like shifted the conversation in kind of unhealthy ways because often, I mean, most emissions in some sense flow through activities of, of companies and companies can and now are having a massive impact. Like Stripe becoming the first to just purchase carbon removals Shopify, Microsoft, Zendesk. Google um, is
0: going to be carbon neutral and then carbon positive, I guess. uh, Huge levers that
4: they can pull uh, in driving this transformation.
0: If you look at all the solar going in, I I think Google might be the biggest investor. uh, And somebody who's listening can fact check me on this email. Producers at thisweekinstartups.com anytime you want to fact check us. And we'll give you credit when we do on the air because we're all trying to get smarter here. That's what podcasting is about, right? I mean, massive solar arrays they're putting in and they do these bonds because they, they got tens, hundreds of billions of dollars sitting around. It's like, what well, what incredible thing can Google and Apple and Microsoft do with these just massive war chests? Just vote by building more solar arrays and, and backing companies like yours. So consumers clearly starting to get it. They're buying impossible burgers or, you know, alternative meats. Maybe even becoming vegans, driving Teslas, putting in solar arrays, smaller homes, just, you know, everything, uh, which is so great. Capital allocators, how do you think they're doing? When you went out and you pitched this, did you get a warm reception where there are a lot of people to pitch uh, and were a lot of people willing to write a check? I know you've raised, I, from what I understand, over $25 million. I don't know if that funding data is correct from PitchBook or not, uh, or most recently updated. Yeah, the funding, the
4: funding situation has really changed, I'd say, from when we first started four okay. years ago. Four years ago, it was like, everyone was like, what the hell? Like, this is weird. Um, Well, it is weird. I mean, in all honesty, it's kind (laughs) of (laughs) weird.
0: Most most (laughs) things that are high alpha are weird. So...
4: Yeah. And, but it, it was like weird enough. That people were like, eh, like clean tech imploded last time. You can't be serious mm. this time. And then I think Sequoia wrote a note that was like, Hey, climate's going to be huge. And then fifth wall wrote this really amazing essay where they're like, Hey, you know, like if we're actually going to decarbonize FYI, that's like 10 to 20 trillion in EBITDA that has to roll over somehow. Mm. It's like, whoa, that's like compared to 500 billion a year in revenue for software. We're talking like a hundred X bigger market in aggregate. So like, that size of that opportunity, I think people started to like actually wrestle with, like, no, it actually has to happen this time. We're running out of time. And so, therefore, the investment opportunities are huge. So, I think a lot of that has shifted in the last few years, and there's a lot of excitement about investing in climate tech. So, it got easier, is what you're saying. It's gotten easier. Yes.
0: To raise money. And now, has it flipped over to mania, where you have too many funding sources? Because that's what we saw happen in SaaS software and other spaces like yours, uh, consumer. Has it flipped over to that part where people are like, hey, can we put money in? And you're like, listen, we- we got enough right now. It's about execution.
4: Uh, I think there's a dearth of good uh, good opportunities. I think, if anything, we're probably a little short on, like, really cool, interesting companies coming into the space. Not that there, like aren't, that there are lots, but we could use a lot more. So, I do think there's probably an imbalance uh, towards more capital than, than really, really interesting uh, yeah. companies. High-class problem. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the... I mean, in general, the venture capital market is like at all time highs in terms of multiples and everything. So sure. you know, at some point, that's got to cool. All thing.
0: right. So we got, we don't, we could use more entrepreneurs. We got tons of capital allocators. Consumers are doing the right thing. The fourth group, politicians, policymakers. How do we assess what they're doing? Because that's the group that I'm looking at that is infuriating me. They seem to be completely asleep at the wheel at best. And in many cases, they seem to be. You know, listen, they have to fundraise and it seems like somebody who's got a coal plant or somebody who's got oil is going to really be desperate and they want to pay people off. And so when you see these people who are anti-Tesla, anti-solar, and, you know, it's liberals and it's, you know, it's people on the left and the right who are getting bought off by these oil companies and coal companies and carbon companies, you know, the bad carbon companies. What's your assessment there? Because you must have been learning a lot now about regulators, regulations, and politicians. Where do you think they're at in this problem and, and, and what do we need to see change there?
4: Yeah, I'm very early in my learnings about Me too. Uh, the regulatory space. It wasn't something that we dealt with in, in our enterprise software world. No, that
0: <laughs> deal with consumers
4: and hiring people. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, I would say my first impression is that basically uh, it's the economy and it's the jobs, stupid. And like basically nothing else matters and so you know when we when we talk about when we talk so things like for example the explosion of solar super compelling like solar now has all kinds of tailwinds behind it wind same thing and that's regardless of that's regardless of side party lines right like texas is huge for wind and so like i've spent a lot of time in kansas and oklahoma over the last few months like it's big for 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 all these things iowa is huge for ethanol so like a huge proportion of the jobs and economic benefits of the sort of green future go to these places that are, you know, historically, uh, red. And I think there's a lot of excitement there. Like when I, when I have conversations, it's like, look, we're put, charm is putting oil back underground with the same hard hats that took it out. I'm like, this is super compelling. Um, and so I, I haven't found, I have found broad bipartisan support for smart technology that not just ours, but a whole bunch of other interesting approaches like ocean alkalinity and enhanced weathering and, and all these really interesting processes that are legitimate options for like a bright future. I think that the idea, though, that politicians are going to come up with solutions like that's not the role they play. And so I have gone from thinking that, oh, we need politicians to act so that we can create the opportunities for um, for economic outcomes. Um, I've gone to think about it in reverse, that like we need to come up with the technology and the options and the business models and then help politicians understand, educate them on how they can accelerate those, how they can make them huge and successful in their states and in their jurisdictions. So I've kind of flipped like the, the order of operations in, in my head from what I thought more naively, that like we need politicians to figure this out, to actually we need to figure it out and then take it to politicians so that they can help us scale it.
0: Yeah, it feels like these politicians really need to be held accountable. I was watching this uh, one California politician Lorena Gonzalez, she's the one who told Elon to, like, you know, said, like, F Elon on Twitter. Remember that whole brouhaha? And it turns out, like, Big Oil is, like, her biggest contributor or something. Somebody can fact check me on it again. But, like, she's taking all these oil donations. And it's like, really? Is that where we're at? And, like, oh, Biden is, you know, big donations from unions. And he can't say the word Tesla. Like, and he can't invite Tesla to anything. It's like, really? Is this? the pettiness of our politicians is that easy to buy. And like, they're so easily flipped to not be pro climate. Like, it's just,
4: it's so yeah. disheartening
0: uh, these Those people. I think, super
4: frustrating cases for sure, yeah.
0: I mean, it, and like, we, I think what has to happen is as a society, we need to point this out and be unrelenting in our coverage of it. And the hypocrisy, you know, even if you're on the left and, you know, it happens to be a, a politician on the left who's not acting ethically or morally, And you got to double click on it and just be like, hey, listen, we have to be intellectually honest about all politicians and the nature of them wanting to stay in office. And I think in a lot of cases, they're so addicted to their power and staying in office that they'll take money from anybody to stay in office if if it keeps them in another cycle. That's not what we want. We want courageous politicians who will say no to big oil money, who will say no to not backing tesla the number one you know i think contributor to this movement but uh, listen what is there anything i didn't ask you that's super important here because again i'm trying to get my legs under me here because i want to start investing in climate stuff we're going to start a climate syndicate you know as a part of the syndicate.com we're going to try to find out which one of our investors really care about this and i want to start making some bets and learning so what do i need to know coming into this space that you learned three or four years ago that i could benefit from or things i didn't ask
4: a lot of the bulk of where we talk about climate is played out from a venture perspective, probably, and is now in the hands of like large scale infrastructure investors. So like solar, wind, like how do we deploy electric vehicles? Like these are these are problems, batteries. Like a lot of this stuff is stuff that we now it's shifting to industrial scale. And so that means massive amounts of capex and maybe its own opportunities around the edges from a venture perspective. But Um, I think the like the core plays there, obviously, of like going from gas to electric cars and going from so on Mm. is like it's it's maturing. Mm. On the flip side, there are like whole parts of decarbonization that are like practically untouched. Ah. Like, you know, we have to figure out how to get cows to emit like to burp way less. Yeah. I'm like, there's some shots on goal there, but like I'm invested in some, but like, I don't, I don't know, (laughs) you know, like it's by far not a solved problem and it's probably 10% of the entire problem. There's probably another 10% of the entire problem is like natural gas leaks.
0: Unbelievable. The natural gas leaks are crazy. It's just slowly dissipating into the atmosphere.
4: Yeah. And I think the methane stuff is actually much worse than it looks. People assume that methane, it like breaks down in the upper atmosphere. And some people assume like it has a lifetime of 10 years or so. The problem is that the way that it gets broken down is actually a constant absolute rate. And so as we emit more, we actually are, it's lifetime is going up. And so all of our models are actually off. It's actually much more serious than it looks. So there's a bunch of these, like, once you get off of, like, the top two areas of climate focus that have been the focus for the last 20 years, you find, like, this whole spectrum of, like, niches that are just completely unsolved that are all, like, 200 billion to multiple trillion dollars of revenue opportunities. People crack them open. And it all has to change in, like, 20 years. So it's perfect for venture.
0: It's perfect for venture because there's going to be so much, you know, spending in this area to clean this stuff up from governments and consumers clearly have voted with their dollars. They're going to pay 10 bucks for an impossible burger. They could have gotten two, you know, in and out burgers for the same price. Like it's going to tell you something, right? Like consumers, and especially these next generations, I guess you were a millennial sort of, you're a millennial, I guess.
4: I think I'm a little too old. Not too
0: much. Maybe you're kind of Gen Z millennial. Yeah. Kind of. A little bit in both but like you said i mean people who are part of this these next two or three generations are just not going to to they're not going to want to work on projects that are not meaningful to them Right? it's like this great trend and, and you're doing that yourself so really you know you have my respect for what you did as an entrepreneur in the first company but you know 10x now that you're doing this because it really is mission driven and uh you're 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 helping not just yourself as an entrepreneur but but you're helping everybody and their kids so I really do appreciate you doing this and it's good to know you.
4: Well, thanks for having me on.
0: Who are you looking to hire? I know this is like the hard thing to do in our industry is to find talent, Peter. You know, I'm sure uh, charmindustrial.com has a careers page, I'm guessing, that people can go to, but just give us a little highlight of what's the hardest position to hire for right now?
4: Uh, the hardest position to hire for right now is actually uh, environmental health and safety. Okay. Uh, this is not a thing that we like, you know, thought about writing building an enterprise software company but uh it's super important if you're deploying big machines uh Mm. out into the real world and moving around big heavy things and running hot machines and so on so super important role um and um some others are like account executive for sales sales hire great Going and selling to corporate buyers, carbon removals, you know, selling to the, all the software companies and financial services companies in the world. And then the last is a technical program manager, someone to help drive the program of actually getting hardware out into the field and helping scale up manufacturing. And uh, you can find all of
0: these jobs and the details of how to apply at charmindustrial.com slash team. Once again, charmindustrial.com slash team. You just type in Charm Industrial jobs into uh, Google and just look at the first two or three links. It's right there. All right. Listen, Peter, continue your success. Keep us updated. And, uh, you know, in a year or two, let's, let's circle back around, have you back on the pod and, and see how far you've gotten with this amazing uh, technology and mission.
4: Really appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Jason.
0: All right. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
3: Hey guys, Rachel reporting here. On February 14th and
4: 15th, we'll be hosting Founder University Intensive. This is a two-day program for founders. Now this course is only open to women founders.
2: We'll be hosting a course open to everyone on May 9th and 10th. You can apply for both at founder.university. And applications for the longer 12-week Founder University program are due on February 14th, and you can also apply for those at founder.university. Follow Jason and Molly on Twitter, at Jason and at Molly Wood. If you're not a boomer and prefer TikTok, search for This Week in Startups to find a fan account at this underscore week underscore in underscore startups. And our official account at TWI Startups, but honestly, the fan account is way better than ours.
4: And if you're still not tired of hearing from Jason six days a week,
2: you can hear him read his book, Angel, at angelthebook.com
0: slash audible.